0: Well, thanks, Steve, for leading. It's always nice when someone can lead for you. And I gave Steve the theme of what we were going to look at tonight. And those hymns that you chose, Steve, really fit and complement, I think. And I trust what we'll be looking at this evening. I would have actually picked Standing on the Promises as the opening hymn. So there you go. We're going to read together from Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, and we will read from verse 19 through to verse 25. If you have a church Bible, it's on page 1724 and it will come up on the screen. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 19. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us, through the veil, that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching well 1st of January 2017 you probably had enough of being reminded of that by now how are you feeling about another new year Did you see in midnight? Did you make it to midnight or were you tucked up in bed with a cup of cocoa? Did you notice that they added an extra second to the day last night? Thomas was very intrigued by this and how this was gonna happen and what was gonna happen on his watch when this extra second was added so that the, the, the earth stays in sync with rotation or whatever the reason was. Maybe, like Ian was saying last night, you were browsing the New Year's Honours list to see who'd got what and Sir Mo Farah and Sir Andy Murray and see if the list has anybody you know. I don't know if anybody's ever had anybody they know in the New Year's Honours list, but there you are. Have you had all the family rituals done now? You're stuffed full of turkey. Did you reflect, as we were challenged yesterday, on 2016? Did you look back over the last year and think... What what sort of a year was that for me? Did you have success? Did you make progress? Did you eat or drink less? Was your family blessed? How do you measure it? How would you answer that question if somebody said to you, what sort of a year was 2016? And for us as Christians, as we move into 2017, we were challenged this morning, weren't we, by Pastor, how is our walk with God? Is our trust deepening in the Lord Jesus Christ? How is your heart to tell others of him? What aspect of the faith do you want to know more about? In what graces and in what disciplines do you need to grow? Do you know where your vulnerability to temptation is? And what can you do about that? Perhaps for some of us and perhaps for people we know, 2016 was a difficult year. It wasn't so good for us. Perhaps it threw up some serious issues. Perhaps it presented some very real trials. Perhaps there were some really hard circumstances in your life, in my life. We prayed this morning. We mentioned this evening the church just up the road in Ainsdale who've had a testing year. Many individuals have suffered. Keith brings us mention regularly of people really on the front line of their faith in physical danger for standing and naming the name of Christ individuals can suffer for the faith churches can be put under pressure and often when we go through tough times our faith gets tested doesn't it questions get asked and sometimes doubts can come in I didn't think things were going to be this hard why is this happening what's this all about where is God in all of this Well, the writer of this letter to the Hebrews can help us this evening with some of these thoughts. Who is this letter from? Well, we don't get given the name of the author. Some people think it may have been the Apostle Paul. Who is the letter to? Well, he's writing to Jewish believers, Jewish Christians, Hebrews, as the title says, who've been converted from their old way of life and become Christians, become followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why is he writing? Why is the letter written? Well, life wasn't easy for these people. Plenty of their peer group remained unconverted, not Christians. And there was division, and there was opposition, and there was even some persecution from their own people. And if that wasn't trouble enough, try living in the Roman Empire or under the Roman Empire at that time. Tough place to live as a Christian. You can go and read about the Emperor Nero and the way he used to delight in killing people, Christians in particular. Cruelty of the highest degree. So there was a tough situation for these people. They'd left behind their old way of life. They'd left behind all that they'd ever known. Perhaps suffered some family and some social division and exclusion. Why? For the sake of naming Jesus And trouble had come to their door. And with the trouble came the doubts. I'm not really sure about all this now, said some. Is this Jesus really the Messiah that you tell us he is, said some. Is he who he claims to be, said some. I'm not feeling so sure. Certainly not as sure as I was. And the doubts came, and the insecurity came, and the uncertainty came. And they'd started well in their Christian lives, but now some were struggling, and now some needed help. You been there? Have you been there too? I didn't think it was gonna be this difficult. I thought this was an easy road. I didn't expect personal trials. I wasn't ready for that persecution. I wasn't ready for the difficulties at work that I faced just for being a Christian. And some of them are struggling. Some are a lot less keen than they used to be on this Christian life. Some were encouraging one another not to go on, but to go back. And to stop meeting up with Christians and to go back to their old lives. Some were ready to pack it all in. And so this letter was written to encourage them. And to remind them, to remind them where they had come from and to point them back to the Lord Jesus Christ with the message, he is who we told you he was. He is every bit as good. He is every bit as perfect. He is every bit as powerful as we told you he was. Look at him and see. We often picture, don't we, our faith and our love for God as a flame. And if that question was asked of me and was asked of you, How would you picture yours, your faith and your love for God, burning strong or burning low tonight? Or would anyone say, I feel like mine's gone out? Well, these verses, this letter was written to these people to try and rekindle that flame in their lives so that it would again become a powerful blaze. We sing sometimes the hymn, don't we? O thou who camest from above, the pure celestial fire to impart, Kindle a flame of sacred love on the mean altar of my heart. There let it for thy glory burn with inextinguishable blaze. And trembling to its source return in humble prayer and fervent praise. So the writer points these people to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we'll just look at this under two headings this evening. Firstly, remember what Jesus Has done. Remember what the Lord Jesus has done for us. So here we have a people looking back, looking back at the past, thinking perhaps of turning back there. They would have remembered their traditions. We all have family traditions, don't we? Some of us have particular things that we always do. Churches have traditions. Well, these people had. Their traditions. And they had their rituals and the Old Testament worship rituals were very prescriptive, weren't they? It wasn't so long ago we studied the tabernacle together. You remember how the ordinary people needed the priests to offer the sacrifices for them. You remember how the tabernacle, there was a place where the ordinary people couldn't go. The most holy place. Only the high priest could go in there. And he could only do that once a year on the Day of Atonement. And there he would go, and there he would offer the sacrifices for all of the people, or for the sins of the people. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 7. Yeah, say the readers, yeah, okay, we remember that. We couldn't do it. We couldn't go. We couldn't come in. And yes, you told us that this Jesus had come, and he'd done away with all this, and we believed it. But some are thinking, you know what? Maybe our old life wasn't so bad. Maybe our old ways weren't so bad, were they? wasn't so difficult. If we turn back, does it really matter? If we lose that love and that zeal for the Lord that we had, does it really matter? Yes, says the writer. It absolutely does. It's actually a matter of life and death. And so he reminds them of what Jesus has done. And why he's better, and why we should hold on to him, and why we shouldn't give it all up, and why we should encourage and stir up each other. And if you had the time, we could go right through this letter and see all of this. But just a couple of verses we can pick out before we get to these. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses but was in all points tempted as we are remember yet without sin we don't need another high priest now because Jesus has come and he calls Jesus in chapter 9 the mediator of the new covenant he says he's the one who came and he died for the redemption of sins under that first An old covenant. Why did he have to die? Well, he had to die because it says in chapter 9 and verse 22, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. And so he reminds his readers, and we're his readers today, that whilst your old sacrificial system is going on and going on and going on, Jesus was offered once, once, to bear the sins of many. Chapter 9 and verse 28. You want another reason why you shouldn't give up, he says. You want another reason why you shouldn't turn back? Well, Jesus is coming back. He's coming back a second time. Chapter 9 and verse 28. He's coming back. Then he goes into chapter 10. You still convinced? Chapter 10 and verse 4. It isn't possible, is it, that the blood of bulls and goats can take away sins? But the blood of the Lord Jesus cleanses us from all our sins. Chapter 10 and verse 11, he says, And every priest stands ministering daily, day after day, repeatedly doing the same things, the same sacrifices, and they can never take away sins. But this man, this man, this Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, he sat down. At the right hand of God so says the writer of this letter won't you take a look at Jesus won't you see again how great he is won't you see again how wonderful he is and what he has done and how much greater he is than anything that might be in your mind of thinking of turning back to chapter 10 and verse 14 he has perfected forever those who were being sanctified We'll sing at the end, completed is the sacrifice. The great redeeming work is done. Now that's maybe difficult stuff for some people. You could understand perhaps for these hearers in this day why the gospel was a difficult thing for them to get their heads around. You're telling me that ordinary people can have access into the presence of God? Unimaginable for them. But we know, don't we, that the moment of the Lord Jesus Christ's death, the veil was torn in two, top to bottom. And we know that on the cross, the body of the Lord Jesus was torn and beaten for us. And so, he says, the old ways are finished. And people like you and people like me can come and draw near to the living God. As it says in our passage, verse 20, a new and living way. And so... As we look at these verses briefly, that's why the writer says in verse 19, We have boldness to enter the holiest place by the blood of Jesus. We can go in, we can come. The hymn says, Before the throne of God, I have a strong and a perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, who ever lives and pleads for me. So, how shall we come to God? Verse 19, he says, boldness, with boldness or with confidence, your version might say. Well, some of us are quite confident people, some of us less so. Probably saw both ends of that spectrum yesterday. We can come with boldness. We can come with confidence. He doesn't say arrogance. And he doesn't say irreverence. And he doesn't say timidity Perhaps some of these things are a challenge for the church today, aren't they? But we have boldness, he says, and why may we have it? Well, it's because of what Jesus has done. It's because of what Jesus has done. In verse 19, by the blood of Jesus, the hymn writer says again, Bold I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ my own. We can approach him with boldness. And how else can we approach him? In verse 22, we can come near to God with a true or a sincere heart. If I could see your heart or if you could see my heart and it was able to show these things, how could you describe it? Would it be described as a true heart or a sincere heart? Not an easy picture, is it? But you know what I mean. What's in your heart? Truth? Sincerity? Or is there a bit of hypocrisy? Is there a bit of deceit? He says, draw near with a true heart. And he says also in verse 22, we can come in full assurance of faith. Full assurance of faith. What a wonderful thing that is, to have full assurance and certainty of these things. There's some religions in, and and. Systems in the world, aren't there, where it's almost a competition of works to see just how much you have to do to earn your way into the heaven or whatever they say that the paradise will be. And it just must be soul-destroying, mustn't it? Because you just can't do it. You can't earn your way into heaven. But we have full assurance of faith. We have certainty and we have complete confidence in the Saviour. I think these readers will have remembered that <clears throat> the priests used to have to sprinkle the blood of animals on the altar and then they would have to wash and cleanse their hands but now, now it's different because the cleansing has been done for us it's been done for us by Jesus all my sin laid on him all the things I deserve laid on him because it's Jesus that's created this new and this living way in verse 20. It's him who's given us access into the very presence of God and that access is open, not just on that one day a year, not just on the Day of Atonement, not just on New Year's Day, the 1st of January, 2017, but any day, all of the time. And so his question is effectively, what are you gonna do with this? What are you gonna do with this? He urges them not to turn away. A couple of weeks ago, our Sam won a ticket. Got a letter in the post and said you've won a a ticket which is for a place at a party at Liverpool Football Club that they're holding for a hundred children. He'd entered on the website and he'd forgotten about it, and the letter came and it said, Sam back, you are invited to this party. And we could have looked at it and said, Well, that's nice. But it's not for us, I don't think they'd let us in. Why would Liverpool Football Club let Sam back in? There, he'd probably wreck the place. (laughs) Or we could have said, it's a personal invitation. He or I am personally invited. So I want access to that party. I wanna go in, I wanna see what is there for me. I wanna know why I've been invited. I wanna accept that invitation and come. And he did, he wouldn't have kept him away. But the writer says, Jesus has done this. Jesus has done it. So come on, draw near. Don't stand outside. Don't act like his work has not happened. Come boldly, come with confidence and come with a true heart. So he talks to them about what the Lord Jesus has done. And then secondly and finally, there's a few words for us and for the readers about keeping on going and encouraging one another in verses 23 to 25 because as he's built in the early part of this book such a a foundation if you like of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done and reminded them so much about what he has done then he can say well there's things that it's now good for you to do and for us to do together there's things that we need to do as a result of what the Lord Jesus has done for us Firstly, he says in verse 23, let's hold solidly to the hope that we profess. I don't know if anyone's ever been down to Ossus Pool and they've built this climbing activity centre down on the front, like a go ape type of place. And you can climb very high, you can go sort of through the trees and on zip wires and on these high frames. Um, it's either the sort of thing you like or you don't like really, depending on your head for heights. But you have to hold on solidly. Because if you fall, it's a problem. And I'm sure they clip you in. I'm sure it's all very safe. But you can also try the climbing walls. There's a place called Awesome Walls in a converted church just down towards Bootleway. And if you try climbing up that where the handholds are quite small and tight, you've got to hold on pretty solidly, haven't you? Else you're going to fall off. Verse 23, he says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering without wavering hold on why because he goes on to say because he who promised is faithful who's the one who promised he who promised the Lord Jesus who promised is faithful these aren't the promises of someone who can't deliver these are not empty promises And this isn't the time, says the writer, to go back to that empty Old Testament style ritualistic life. Because why? Because the Messiah has come. The fulfilment is here. And so if we read, we could read this as a letter to us. Maybe you need it. Maybe you think you don't. Maybe you might need it in a, in a, a time to come. Maybe you might have to counsel somebody else going through doubts at some time. But we could say, friends, 2017 is not a time for us to go back, to go back to perhaps aspects of that lifestyle you used to lead. It's not a time to give up on a committed Christian life because something else more appealing seems to be coming along. This is a time to hold solidly to your confession because you know what is right and because you know what is true. Hold on without wavering. He says, hold on confidently, hold on with certainty. Why? Because he who promised is far more faithful than anyone you'll meet in this world. And so, in the last couple of verses, says the writer then, don't be putting doubts into each other's minds because you know the truth. Now's a time where you can really help those who might need it. Now's a time where you can be an encourager amongst the people you can be strong for them maybe one day they'll be strong for you you can love them they can love you and actually he says now is the time that we can stir each other on to greater levels of commitment to greater love for each other you can work out ways to do it verse 24 he says you can consider one another in this we can inspire each other just had a great idea let's do this that's great Why don't we tell someone else about it, see if they want to get involved in love and in good works? How are we going to encourage each other? How are we going to encourage one another? Verse 25, are we going to do that by staying away from fellowship, by doing our own thing, by a lone ranger style of Christianity? I don't think so, says the writer. Now's not the time to be dropping off. You may have met someone who thinks that perhaps they should have their own church because nobody else's is good enough. The thing we often forget is that we're all people with problems and if there was a perfect church, then I shouldn't join it and neither should you. But listen, says the writer, you can't do this on your own. Last night after we'd had the the party here or the the meeting here, I went home and we have a real fire and I went and I lit it. I managed to do that. And when all the coals burned together they create this real nice, warm, intense heat, don't they? This intense blaze. And if you do it well, not that I'm very good at it, it can give off a real great heat. But, you know, if you just take one coal out of the fire and you put it on the hearth or you put it on a plate somewhere, soon it will go cool and soon it will go cold and soon it will go out cold and dead. You see, we need each other. He reminds us that we need each other. We need fellowship. We need teaching. We need to be accountable. And we need to encourage those people that maybe we haven't seen for a while. We need to encourage people that we only see occasionally. We need to be an example to the younger people in the church, to the newer people in the church. We need to be an example and a blessing and an encouragement, don't we, to each other? Have you encouraged anyone today? Have you, as he says... Exhorted one another today in verse 25. Still got time. Day's not done yet. And then he reminds them at the end of verse 25 that every day that passes draws us one day nearer to that day, to that ultimate day. It's been interesting, hasn't it, perhaps, for some of us to listen on the radio to all of the um, stuff that's been said about the people who've died over recent days turned on the radio the day after George Michael died and there was there must not have been anything else happening in the world because that was all that was being talked about people that were here and now people that have gone but one day he says in verse 25 the Lord Jesus Christ will return he will return for his people now will that be 2017 I have no idea and neither of you But what if it was what if it was if it was how would you feel about the year that you're living in or that you've just lived how would you feel about the day that you had just spent could you encourage one another to live in a way such that if the lord returned that day you would know that you'd served him as best you could as best you could let's listen to the writer and hold fast in the confession of our hope without wavering and remember that he who promises all these things is completely faithful